Hello everybody, I'm Dave. And I'm Dougie. And welcome to our podcast dedicated to all things tabletop role-playing games. Each week we bring you the latest news coming out of the tabletop role-play gaming world, along with tips, tricks and advice on any and all areas of this wonderful hobby. We will also be getting together with some of the players from our own games to get their input on the week's sessions, getting inside scoops on their characters, predictions for where each game is heading and much more in a segment we like to call Tavern Talk as well as answering any questions from you, the listeners. So, sit back and relax. This is Dungeon Drift. Hello, Dougie. Hi, Dave. Okay, episode one. So we should probably introduce ourselves a little bit first. I'm Dave. I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons primarily for 15 years now. 16 years, in fact. It's uh, We're in a new year, aren't we? Um, I play other systems. I play Traveller. I play Starfinder, Pathfinder, uh, a bit of World of Darkness, Call of Cthulhu. I like all the weird ones, really, other than Dungeons and Dragons. But uh, what about you? Uh, I've been playing since back in 1994, so about 26 years now. Um, I've done 3rd edition, 3.5, 4th edition D&D, 5th edition D&D, played a little bit of Starfinder, uh, a little bit of Traveller, Call of Cthulhu, um, as well as... I forgot what the system was. <laughs> Another system you played. Another system, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, if you think about it, we'll, we'll we'll add it in later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we thought a good... Shadowrun. Shadowrun. Never played that. Been told it's very good. I've also never played any of the Warhammer ones, which apparently are, are really good as well. There's a, a new... I say new, but it's the most recent one, I think, is the, the fantasy one, isn't it? Yeah, I, one of one of the uh, guys who plays in the game with me runs a Warhammer game on a Friday. Oh right, okay, That'd be interesting. Yeah, have to get it him on down. at some point to to tell us all about it. See if he can convert us. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe me. But uh, yeah, Shadow One's a bit um, dark and uh, it's almost emo. Very um, not cyberpunky, but te- uh, but techno technopunky. Technopunk, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's got a bit of a magic feel, hasn't it, as well? Um, bit of D&D not... mixed, with, mixed with sci-fi. No, the, the, the realms around um, Shadowrun is almost that magic doesn't exist anymore. Okay. But it's it's the same races from almost D&D, um, but they've gone like forward a thousand years into like modern technology, so they're, they're hackers and they're right. virtual, so there's... Ve- there's there are a little bit of magic in there, but very little. Magic's almost gone. It's all technology-based gaming. Oh, that sounds fun. Oh, I'd be up for a one-shot of that, maybe, one day. Maybe. Um, maybe. Definitely. Um, so what what games are you involved with at the minute, system-wise? I mean, it's a very easy question to answer because you're in my games and I'm in your games. So, Yeah, absolutely. So I'm running uh, a fifth edition campaign from uh, of Descent into Avernus, the module. The latest module, uh, yeah? Yeah, very, very good fun, good group. Um, I'm also playing in Out of the Abyss. 
Mine. Uh, in your game. Yep. Um, and we're about to start a decent campaign of Traveller that's also yours. Yeah, that's the Mongoose Publishing second edition Traveller. Um, if we are ever going to be discussing Traveller, that'll be the edition we use. Um, I have looked into and briefly played some of the classic Traveller stuff. Um not enough to to warrant talking about it. Um, Mongoose Second Edition is my current edition of Traveller, so that's the one I'll be referencing the most. Um, and Dungeons and Dragons as well. We'll be primarily focusing on Fifth Edition. Uh, Pathfinder. If we talk about it, will probably be um, a mix of both editions because I have I have dipped into both. Um, Starfinder. There's only one edition. Call of Cthulhu will be are they on seventh now? Are they seventh or eighth? They are seventh, seventh. edition. Yeah. Okay. Um, in fact, another system I've played, I've just remembered that I really enjoyed, was uh, Modifius's Conan. Oh, yes. Now, they did, they've just released uh, the Star Trek Adventures, haven't they? They have indeed, I yes. Have, I have the starter set of that. Um, I've never played it, never even opened it, but I, I'm a massive Trekkie. So I thought I need to get that just to say I've got it. And the, the 2D system, uh, the 2D20 system really does work well. Does it's it? a fantastic little piece of work yeah okay it's brilliant that is we'll have to get in, get get used to that a bit more as well and hopefully talk about that too but anyway, absolutely for this first episode what we thought we'd do is um discuss about um new players look or returning players looking for a game that's right for them where to find one um how to recognize the the signs of what's good and what's not in you know their requirements as well as uh Weighing up the pros and cons of online versus tabletop gaming. Uh, and obviously with the current situation in the world, um, online has soared in popularity and rightly so. Yeah. What I think I should say, as you mentioned, the current situation, we are recording this over Zoom. Uh, we are not in the same room. I, I, We both live probably hundreds of miles away from each other, so that would be impossible anyway. But we are practicing very, very distanced social distancing at the minute so we're safe yeah but by a factor of a good few thousand probably yeah um yeah and on top of that um finding the game is obviously all well and good but uh the next step is what do you need in order to actually take the plunge either as a new player or a returning player what do you need around the table around your computer in order to actually be able to facilitate this hobby absolutely and then following on from that once you find your game now most most dms or gms or keepers or referees or whoever's running the game will have their own set of um table rules if you like um but we're going to give you some general table etiquette uh, advice on um if, if you're new to a, an already established group what what you should and shouldn't do in order to to, to get on well with the rest of the group fantastic so i know we said in the intro sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i know i know we said in the intro that we're going to have table talk but as this is our first episode we thought we would skip that this session um and get a decent uh decent back um backlog of our sessions ready for us to then highlight at a later date absolutely so uh searching for a game then dave that there's in in today's technology from when i first started back in 94 it was word of mouth. That was yeah. the only way to find a game. It was your lo- local gaming store. Um, if you if you were lucky enough in this country, in the UK, 
to have one. They are still few and far between. They are becoming more and more popular. As oh, the, the, the resurgence of this game is unbelievable. Which is bringing it back to the high street. This game, now it's gone from obscurity to more pop culture, to more mainstream pop culture, I would say. And that's thanks to things like Big Bang Theory, um, Critical Role, uh, loads of things like that, I would say. Stranger Things. Stranger Things, the big one. How did I forget that? Um, that's that's They've really brought it back into the mainstream of gaming now, and it's, it's really wonderful to see. As I said, back in 94, um, I was lucky enough to find a bit of work, and one of the guys I worked with was part of a, a formed game. So that's where I got involved, and it was an in... Um, uh, in real life games so it was a proper tabletop game um once a week and it was just fantastic and that that bit me into the bug of tabletop role play gaming yeah but as i said technology's changed now uh, and and some of the biggest sources of um access for this i would say would reddit yes reddit um if you know any of the virtual tabletop websites so like your astral your roll 20 uh, fantasy grounds um most of those i think that the the most popular is obviously roll 20 they've got a really good looking for group system in theirs uh it built into their into their tabletop um that's in fact how i uh found most of my current players um there's also the meetup app um, so that's coming away from the computer, going onto your phone. There's a social media platform called Meetup. It is strictly for over 18s, um, but I found a few of my players through Meetup. Uh, are you sure it wasn't an app for something else and you just coincidentally <laughs> found some gamers, Dave? <laughs> well, no, maybe. Shh. Um, <laughs> and on top of that, there's obviously the, um, the very well-known Facebook. There yeah. are hundreds if not thousands of community groups now um especially on facebook that would give you the option of finding a game with like-minded players and with the advantage of technology you are not bound by distance i have i've played games with australians americans um middle eastern players um and that's the advantage of the the world wide web nowadays is absolutely there are no limits some of the groups that I'm just looking through my Facebook now, some of the, the groups that are available, um, for example, you've got the Dungeons and Dragons UK Facebook group. That's huge. Um, it's less of a finding a group uh, group, finding a group group, um, more of a, a general D&D group. But um, I've seen people on there many times saying, I'm looking for a group um anybody playing that would like a new player and people that are accepted all the time uh there is the uh tabletop uh one shot group i think that's what it's called anyway let me have a it look it is yep it is indeed tabletop one shot group that has gone through a massive rehaul at the minute um so that's a lot more accessible now there there are loads loads. and i would say actually there's um one of the biggest on facebook probably is the um, absolute tabletop uh facebook group yes which is uh it's not it's it's not intentionally a looking for group it's about a like-minded group of people who can 
dump ideas, brainstorm, uh, bat things off each other. But actually, they do regularly arrange groups and games on there, and that's that's a that's a huge site. So yeah. a big shout out to Mac, Matt, and Tim, uh, and the teams at uh, Absolute Tabletop. Brilliant. Um, so you have posted to any number of one any number of these uh, groups on Facebook. You've created your free Roll20.net account. You are ready to play. What do we do then? The the biggest thing, and which throws a lot of people off, is that delay in finding someone or some response to the game that you're trying to find. And for me, the biggest thing... How do I put this? The biggest no-no is having someone say, we've got a spot, and jumping in with both feet without asking the right questions prior to agreeing to join a game. Absolutely. You could be playing with anybody, and the chances are, especially especially if you're joining an online game, chances are you don't know any of those players. You may have talked to the GM a few times, you know, seen them post in a Facebook group or things like that. However, they could be playing their own version of a game. So there is the basic rules of Dungeons & Dragons. They could have taken those and gone, yeah, we don't like any of that, so we're going to put a little bit of Pathfinder in. We're going to put a little bit of fourth edition back in um they're going to put a lot of that conan in you know to find rules that work for them and then homebrew their own stuff yes so what they advertise as D ends up becoming an amalgamation of many different systems and you go um but um i don't know what's happening that's just one example of finding the, the wrong group for you another one potentially is finding players that aren't right for you Absolutely. That's that's a huge thing. The the idea behind D and D is you're playing something you're not. Absolutely. You are you are being something you've always imagined or you've always wanted to be. And it's it's escape from the world. That's that's a lot of people use role play gaming to escape from the real world. And one uh, we're gonna discuss this later anyway, but as we were discussing as we're up to this point now. One downside of joining the game that's already run is you've not been part of that session zero. What I mean by session zero is where the the GM, the DM, whoever's running the sessions sits down with all the players and as a group, not just the DM leading it, as a group, you set the ground rules for that group. What is acceptable? What is not? Subjects and topics that will never be broached because no one wants to include them in the game. And if you jump straight into a game without asking them questions, you could be putting yourself into some very awkward situations. It could work the other way around as well, where you've got a DM or a GM, sorry, who is including those specific topics. We're not going to mention them because there's no need. Um, they are including them in their game, and you you jump right into this session and think, oh my God, who who are these people I've just joined a game with? and be very uncomfortable and then, you know, have to leave that game and then you're back to square one of looking for a game. So, what are the markers for a good game? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think that varies from player to player. Um, For me, the games I look for are roleplay heavy, 
Um, I'm a role player. I have a, a background in theatre, which I'm, you know, I would say I'm proud of, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have a background in theatre, so I like the acting side of things. I put on all the silly voices. My play, my character in your game at the moment is a, a tiefling who is French, and he is, hel- well, I think he's hilarious because... He, he gets into all sorts of trouble because he, he just doesn't know when to shut up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, um, I, 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 prefer, I prefer role play um, to combat because I'm not, ma- I'm not a massive number cruncher, so I much prefer the, the role play aspect. So I'd go for a role play heavy group. What about you? Um, in a game, I would say, because I, I love the numbers, stats numbers and things like that i i love um but i'm i'm one of those as as you know once i try and start playing a system i want to know the ins and outs of that system and i get to know the rules very very well um so as a player i would say i'm probably inclined to go 65 70% combat with the rest role play um but as a GM, I'm I'm so flexible. I can do it either way. I could do a pure combat, pure role play. Um, I'm I'm not overly fussed either way. Another thing you should probably look out for is if they're playing homebrew content or they're playing a published module. So, for example, D and D Wizards have published. I've lost count of how many modules they've published now. Um, Descent into Avernus and Out of the Abyss are just two of the many that they've done. Um, Lost, Lost Minds, Curse of Strahd, out, uh, not Out of the Abyss, the... Tyranny of Dragons they've done, Prince of Apocalypse, Stonking's yeah. Thunder. Yeah, loads. Uh, there's, there's loads of them. But normally what they'll do is, let's say you find a post on Facebook saying, um, looking to start a group, are looking for four to five players uh, running Curse of Strahd on such and such a night at such and such a time. That's a standard post for what people will will be looking for. So you know straight away that that's going to be a Curse of Strahd game on such and such a night at such and such a time, and there's going to be between four and five players. Agreed. However, when I look for a game... I look for the post that goes above and beyond the standard post. Yeah. I look for the GM who adds color to the post, puts a bit of background of the story into the post, talks about maybe what the big bad's up to and what you've got to do and what sort of adventure are they looking for, sets a couple of the ground rules down on the initial post. Someone that you know has paid time and effort into making sure that the party he's got from the bat, or she's got, sorry, I shouldn't just say he, uh, that the party they've got from the bats are, are going to stick together, are going to work together, and are and, and going to enjoy it. And that's the key for any role-play game. Whatever it is, you have to enjoy it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so y- you've seen this post that's gone into all this effort. So you now know exactly what type of game you are being invited to join. That's great. You still haven't met those other players. Now let's say you join that game and you instantly clash. 
with one of those players. Because let's face it, not everybody can get on. What do you do then? Unfortunately, as a uh, formed game, um, odds are, as the new person, you're going to be the one to go. Yeah. Unfortunately, that that is... Un- it's unfortunate, but that's the case in so many games where there's this established group of friends and you're the new player. It's not a nice decision for the GM to have to make. Most GMs want to be as inclusive as possible, but if there is any sort of aggro or um, clashing of personalities or just clashes of sense of humor as well, then the easiest thing to do would be to say, look, I, I'd love to stay part of this game, but I can't I can't be part of this. It's often the player's decision to leave as well. Absolutely. But there are, based on the number of posts I've seen, so many games out there. All I'll say as my top tip is don't dive in, ask the right questions, and wait for the right game. I, I'd rather wait a month for the right game that I'm going to be able to immerse myself in completely then go in and out of three or four games and start to demoralize myself. Yeah. And another piece of advice I would give is just if you're, if you're new to the hobby, especially join one game, don't go and join the first six that you find playing more than one on one day, because you will very, very quickly suffer burnout. It may be there done that. It may be really fun to play all this Dungeons and Dragons or whatever game it is you choose straight away. But it becomes even more special when you've waited all week for that one Friday night game that you are so heavily invested in. Like I'm running I'm running two at the moment and playing in one. Um I'm but I'm only running one D and D and I'm playing in one D and D. So they're two separate games, but I'm excited to play in one of them, but I'm also excited to run the other one. And then Traveller, my Traveller game, is a totally separate entity. So I've limited myself to running one of each system and only playing in one game. So I don't get burnout. Because I've I've stopped games before now. I've I've gone to my players before now and said, look guys, I need to take a break from this because I'm I'm getting too much of a good thing. Been there, done there. Storm King's Thunder was rolling, was really good game. Uh, I had a good group. I was happy with the group, but I just, I, I got to the point I was doing five, six days a week of D&D um, between hosting and playing. And it becomes a job. Family comes first. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's the biggest point we can take out of this, finding the right game for you, is finding one that fits in with your real life. Don't put your real life on hold for the sake of the game. Absolutely not. So I, I mentioned it earlier, but we'll go back to it now anyway. Um, pros and cons versus uh, a new game versus one already started. Okay, so biggest pro, first of all, for a new game is you get a session zero. You get a session zero um, and you can... Um, meet these new players and learn the game from the ground up. And as I said, the for me, the biggest pro of a new game is that you are part of the initial ground rules in them, uh, that first session zero. So you matters. make your stamp on the game and you know it's the right game for you. 
because you are part of the rules. Yes, absolutely. Pros of a um, of an established game. One of the pros is that quite often um, the the early level gaming, although it's fast and rapid, can get a little bit boring. So if you establish a game where they've already advanced to say third, fourth, or what I consider a big power jump as fifth level characters, yeah, is that you jump into the excitement that's already begun. Absolutely, yeah. Um and I, I also think maybe having a um I've lost my train of thought, I'm so sorry. Um have, having a decent um session zero even if your your session zero is coming into a, a brand new uh, sorry uh, an already established game um you're you can still have a session zero with that dm just say to the dm can i please jump on with you beforehand to uh, talk through what's gone on with this game um so i can get a bit of backstory of the characters that i'm going to be meeting um and you can uh most DMs will absolutely say that because they, they know then that you actually care about that game. And most of the players um, will accept you more knowing that you're interested in what they've done, knowing that they're the formed party up until this point. Um, and it's not like you are the new player, but you are the new player. So they will embrace you into the party and with D&D very quickly... You, you go, you find a new player, and then they're in. They're, that's it. They're part of the party. Um, but it's about accepting the group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, 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 I think, one of the biggest things as well is you have to accept them as players as well. Just because you're starting into this, this big group of players or this, this established group of players, you have to say, yeah, okay, this is a fit for me, or no, it's not. Absolutely. And I, I would say another top tip is if you are going through a game and you feel something's right, not right, or you're not excited when the game's coming up as you should be, it's probably not the right game for you. So you're better off making that call to step away rather than trying to drag it out just to keep the adventure going. Yes, absolutely. It's like reading a book, isn't it? They say that within the first, is it the first five pages or something like that, it should grip you. And then if you're not hooked on a book by the first five pages, then put the book down and start again. Yeah. I, something I, like that. I, it's very similar with the Aragon books. Yes. Um, I, I started reading one, I think it was about five o'clock in the evening. Got the book, opened it up. I was like, oh, this is good. Looked at the clock. And next thing I know, it was quarter past three in the morning. I was like... Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, online versus IRL games. IRL is in real life. So, as we mentioned previously, the current situation leads to online being the preferred um, way of gaming. Well, it's the only way at the minute, isn't it? There's, there are no, as far as I'm aware, there shouldn't be any in real life games going on at the moment because of social distancing, unless they are unless family members in the, in the same, same house. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And actually that's something that's picked up more and more. I've noticed on posts. Yeah, it hasn't in my house, but <laughs> that's a different story. 
Yeah, but um, there's there's pros and cons for each. Um, for me, um, well, it it depends on how you go about it. But one of the biggest pros for online gaming is that most people have already got a computer. They've already got internet. The biggest outlay for most people is normally a webcam and a decent headset. After that, that's all you need because, as Dave mentioned earlier, these simulators, uh, Astral, uh, Roll20, all have everything you need for the game built in. Absolutely, yeah. So my biggest pro for the online game is the convenience. Um, In all fairness... I personally think it's a lot more work for the GM doing an online game because they've got to program all the, the maps and the tokens, if you use maps and tokens, into the system. You've got to learn the system. You've then got to write your session, prepare for your session. So I think it's a lot more work for the GM. But the convenience, especially in the current world situations, to be able to go, right, okay, uh, we still want to play. We're doing this podcast now over Zoom. And we play our games over Zoom. So we can still gather around a virtual table and play our games. We haven't had to stop. So the convenience of it for me is the biggest thing. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Dave's been a big um, in real life gamer for a while. Um, and, and he lives, as, as we say, about 500 miles away from me. And I still join his game virtually. Yeah. So he'll have people around this table, and I'm videoing in. So actually, you can mix it. Absolutely you don't have you to play one or the other. No. we. I, I literally I, I sit my laptop at the edge of my table. Dougie comes in over. It's normally either Hangouts or Discord, but I think it'll probably be Zoom from now on because it's a lot more stable. Yep. Um, and I set up a microphone in the middle of one of the, the Blue Yeti microphones right in the middle of the table so everyone can talk to him and he can talk to us. Bluetooth speaker. Problem solved. You don't need all that fancy equipment to do that. You can literally do it with a laptop. That's it. It's all you'd need. Absolutely. Or a phone. You can do Zoom or video chats on a phone. You know, it it would make it a lot more complicated, but you could do it. No, absolutely. But the the, the advantages of the in real life game is obviously that that social interaction. Yes. The, the atmosphere of having a laugh, snacks, drinks if you want them, dice rolling off the table, that you don't get that with an in-real-life game. There is nothing like the sound of a dice rolling, in my opinion. I think that, to me, rolling that dice, li- listening to it clatter on the table, like that, absolutely. Listening to that, and then... The collective breath as everyone's waiting for that result, and then the the either the cheer or the oh, if you get if you don't get your roll, <laughs> I think that or, it just it just makes the game for me. That does. Or the delay as it bounces off the table, hits the floor, and then the player most, trying to claim the number that they actually roll. Most GMs roll a dice off a table is an invalid roll, and you roll it again. But it's a twenty. Yeah. <laughs> And the uh, the classic, uh, well, that's not the number I wanted. Can I can I can I roll again? Oh, I've had that so many times, especially from my yeah. wife who doesn't really enjoy the game, but she plays every now and then. So she just keeps rolling until she gets the number that she wants. 
brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, she, she's good at that. <coughs> so the um the biggest so the biggest advantages of of in real get in real life for me are as you say the social. There's also I'm a I'm a, a quite a creative person or I like to think I am. So I do a lot of scenery making and uh, things like that. So I I would physically make the dungeon or the castle or the the cave that we're in out of either foam or I, I do a lot of 3D printing and you can br- bring a new level of immersion to your game that way. Um, again, you don't have to do that. You can do everything theater of the mind if you like. I think the- absolutely theater of the mind. Sometimes your mind is the best setting. Sometimes because you can describe something and have five different viewpoints of what it looks like. Yeah, I'm I'm a very big theater of the mind um, GM myself. Um, I like the players to imagine where they are um and what i find as well as a player uh, sorry as a gm is that i like to have adventures and campaigns evolve around what the players think what they say what they do and actually with theater of the mind they come up with some cracking ideas that you go i can use that in the next adventure i i, I didn't think of that path i can do that i can manipulate things whereas if they see scenery and it's printed it's formed it's, it's beautiful half the time it's fantastic but it's fixed in stone to them and they don't need to imagine anything else so no extra branches or ideas come off that it, it almost becomes a board game i agree i agree however i am moving slowly more towards theater of the mind and the, yeah, you are. The primary reason for that is I'm lazy, and whilst I yeah, really, you are. whilst I really <laughs> enjoy making the scenery, I let's say for example my games are on a Sunday night. I will get to Saturday afternoon and go, oh, I need to make that massive bit of scenery, uh, but the paint isn't going to dry. Uh, right, the glue's not going to dry. I haven't got enough foam. Ah, fear of the mind, it'd be fine. And that's the thing. Uh, I, that... I, sorry, go on. Theatre of the Mind can be done at a drop of a hat. Um, If if you try and plan for every single session as a GM, um, you're going to burn out again, as we discussed earlier on. Whereas with Theatre of the Mind, and I've had them before, I've had players say, can you run something? And I've gone, yeah, all right. Imagination, drop a few bits down. And you got yourself an adventure. Yeah. Again, bit of a shout out to the Abtab um, crew. They released a uh, a book, a package, um, Oath for the Frozen King, which wasn't a story. It wasn't a module. What it was was a building block to create mini adventures and one shots. All you need is a set of dice, roll them. It gives you a uh, table chart. You've got your adventure. As simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you've got your online or your table session. You've found a group that works for you. You're starting your session zero. What do you need to play the game? I can answer that question really easily if you, if you don't mind me jumping in. No, no, fill your boots. You don't need anything to play. You don't need to physically own anything more than a pencil and a piece of paper to play this game. Especially Dungeons and Dragons. The game we're talking about here, example-wise, is Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition. The free basic rules are available 
online on Wizards of the Coast website. So you don't even need the player's handbook to, to for your first session. You only need a pencil and a piece of paper. You don't even need a character sheet, really. A good imagination. Yes. That's all you need. A rubber. A rubber would help as well, in case you make a mistake. That's why we always say write in pencil. So you, Absolutely. You can start this game basically for free. Now, let's say you get into this game. The first thing I think you should buy for this game is the player's handbook. And that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. You, you don't need any of the Dungeon Master's Guide or the Monster's Manual or any of these extra um, bits of Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon? <laughs> that's, a, that's a different game altogether. Any of these extra bits of equipment, as long as you have the ability to research core rules as a player, <coughs> you, you're sorted. Yeah. And you don't need to know them intricately either. No. And that, that's the whole thing about a DM. Sorry, Dave. No, no, no. You tell them what you'd like to do, and a DM would say, do this role, do that role. And a decent DM, if you're new, will take the time to guide you through that. And you'll pick it up very quickly. Yeah. And then if you find a decent DM who's been very kind to buy all the stuff on D&D Beyond and share them into their online campaign, you don't need to buy anything ever because it's all there. Absolutely. I might have been daft and done that for all my players, but shh. Yes. <laughs> okay, so that's your starting materials. Most players will come to the table with their own copy of the, the player's handbook, just so it's not yeah. being passed around. And people are very funny about their books. I personally don't like the, the, the spines on my books being broken. So no. I like to try and keep my books nice and new. However, there's, there's a slight difference. In, in my opinion, if you're going to play um, uh, an in-real-life game, in addition to that, you need a set of dice yes there are some beautiful dice out there uh there's some metal ones there's some posh stones you can pick up a set of cheap but balanced dice for a couple of quid and as long as you've got one of each dice that is all you need a, uh, a set of seven polyhedral dice so that's your d20 your d12 your d10 or your d100 really your percentile your yep. D10, your D8, your D6, and your D4. That's all you need. Dinner. There are dice rolling apps, which I'm sure work perfectly fine. But, you know, it's, it's your choice whether you use those or not. And as I mentioned earlier, when you're playing a uh, tabletop game um, online, most of these softwares now have them built in, so you don't need the dice. And... Even if you don't use uh, real dice, you can buy um, dice rolling apps for your phone or you can just tell Google to roll some dice for you. And it does it. Yeah. Okay, so you've got all the equipment you need. You sit down at the table. Let's talk about table etiquette. Absolutely. Yeah. So, as I mentioned, at the perks of a session zero and it being a new game is that you can build the rules from the beginning so you don't put your foot into something that you probably shouldn't have done yes however regardless of whether you're joining a formed or a new game there are certain traits that 
you should always follow and always bring to the table. Uh, and I would say the biggest one for me um, is whether you're new or whether you're experienced, do not interrupt your table by arguing with the GM. Yeah, those conversations can be had after the session. Simple as that. Absolutely. It ruins the immersion, the flow. It, it just it takes everybody out of their their characters and their games. It, bec- it becomes a real-life issue again, especially if you, you end up clashing about it and arguing about it there at the table or on the screen. It's, it's not... It's, it's just... Just don't do it, basically. Wait until after the session, pull your DM up at the, afterwards and say, look... I don't really think you ruled that correctly. This is my interpretation of that rule. Can we discuss that? Simple. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, it's not good for the DM either. Um, at the end of the day, he's the one facilitating the game. I'm not going to say it's his or her game because it's everyone around the table's game, but they're the one who are making the story come to life with what you as the player present to them and if the dmgm or whatever says this is how it's happening which again would have been discussed on these session zeros that's how it happens whether the book says it or not yeah the book says these are a guide but the dm's decision is final yes um another biggie for me around my table is uh phones or technology that aren't being used to aid the game um i jokingly mentioned my wife joining our game a few, uh, maybe last year. She's not into D&D in the slightest. She was just filling a space for me until I found a different player, and she was happy with that. But I had to, re- yeah, I had to, repl- I had to repeat most things many times because she was sat there on her phone. Now, that's, that's fine. I understand that it's not her thing. It's just, it's a massive distraction for the DM, or for the GM, to have, have to repeat something. They could have done a massive speech about all these things that are flying at them and the magic effects and you fall into your death and oh my god all that and then go sorry what was that i missed that and it ruins the moment and then it's also a bit of an insult for the dm as well because they're putting all this effort in and then the players sat there on the phone just tapping away and it's just it's not fun not fun for the dm the dm's got to get fun out of it as well and it's not fun for the other players too they're trying to immerse themselves in the character and for the DM to have to break <coughs> character in order to bring someone back into the game, it ruins it for everyone at the table. It's not just not just the DM. And the same goes for things like iPads, laptops. Yes, some people will have digital character sheets, especially if they use uh, websites like D&D Beyond. Um, that's great. Just make sure you're, you know, you're respecting the, the, the table. And that's a whole sure. thing. That's the whole point about the table etiquette is just have a bit of respect for the people that are around the table and the guy especially, or girl who is running the game for you. Yeah. Um, another one on the table etiquette for me is uh, it's, it's not so much if you're all new players, um, but if you know what you're on about um, and you're a sort of an experienced player, it's come to the table knowing your character and your character sheet. Yeah. The, the more you know your character... And the more ready you are for what's going to happen and what you need to do, you're not checking the player's handbook every time it's your turn. It just lets the game flow so much better. It makes it more immersive. And 
yeah, just know what your character's abilities are and don't sit there checking every time. We all forget sometimes. Um, and occasionally you may say, I just need to check this one ability. That's fine. Check it. Remember it and move on. But if you're checking your abilities every single turn, it comes around to you. That's that's going to ruin it for a lot of people very quickly. Absolutely. Most people will, will or most DMs will expect you, for example, if you're playing a wizard in D&D, don't wait for your turn to decide what spell you're going to do. Have a good idea of what spell you're going to cast, maybe two or three ter- maybe two or three people before you in the initiative order. Yes, okay, something may change during those two turns. That means, oh, hang on a minute, I was going to cast Fireball, but now I need to cast Shield. Ah, that happens. But you, you can do both, Dave. I know you can. That was just an example that rolled off my head, out my head. But all right, Mage Armor instead of Shield. How's that? I'll give you that one. Okay, but have a decent idea of what spell you would like to cast if you have the opportunity and also what that spell does and what dice you need for that spell or whether the target needs to roll a save, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've noticed it in um, Season 2 of Critical Role. <coughs> um, Matt Mercer has got into a habit now of telling players, you're up next or you're up next, because there's a lot of people around this table. There's, there's eight players normally. And it takes a long time to get through combat. So he reminds them, he prompts them, and he expects them to be ready when it's their turn. And fair fair enough, they normally are, you know. But it's not easy for everyone to do. You know, I've still, I've been playing 15 years. I still stumble on some of the things. I don't know every spell in the book. I'm not Dougie. I don't know it all. But it, it's, it, it helps if you know or at least have an idea of what you want to do absolutely so I'm going to say that that was probably a good place to stop I think that was a yeah. Pretty, yeah I hope you have enjoyed this first episode of Dungeon Drift um, next episode we're probably going to be going through character creation in definitely d and I'm going to see if we can convince Dougie to let me put another system in there as well um, but we'll see um, so hopefully you will be back with us for episode two. Um, so from me, thank you very much for listening. Uh, and from me, yeah, we'll, as I said, character creation next session. Um, and we will look at trying to, once we start posting these live, getting your questions. So we'll be able to start answering any questions that uh, we are able to answer. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to bring in some guest speakers over the next couple of episodes uh, just to talk about their views of our games, their characters, where they came from, and where they're going. Absolutely. So, thank you very much. I've been Dave. And I've been Dougie. Thank you for listening to Dungeon Drift. Good night. Oh.